Good morning to you once again. It's just a privilege and a blessing and an honor to be able to be with you. It is such a privilege and an honor, even more so, to be able to worship the great God of heaven. I think it's important that we remember he is the audience and we are the participants. And it's an honor, it's a privilege that we've been able to sing songs of praise to him and pray to him and now study from his word. I hope we never lose sight of what a privilege and honor it is to worship the supreme God of the universe. In one of his letters to the great scholar Desiderius Erasmus, Martin Luther, the Reformation Martin Luther, he wrote to Erasmus, your thoughts of God are too human. Now, Erasmus was a scholar. He was a very smart guy. And I would say that this renowned scholar resented such a rebuke, the more so since it proceeded from a copper miner's son. He was just a, almost a nobody. But it was thoroughly deserved. It was thoroughly deserved. 500 years later, thereabouts, we too need to level the same charge against the majority of the preachers of our day. Those who, instead of searching the scriptures for themselves, lazily accept and just regurgitate the teaching of others. This has led to the most dishonoring and degrading conceptions of the rule and reign of the Almighty. And it's resulted in countless thousands, countless thousands, quite ignorant of the deity of Scripture, as we can read about him in the books that we're holding. And even among those who profess to be sound Christians, perhaps even some sitting in this very room today. So in an effort to remedy this status, I want us to meditate this hour upon the the supremacy of Yahweh, the supremacy of God. But before we do that, I want us to actually consider the man-made God that so many worship today. Yahweh actually levels a complaint. It's a perpetual complaint that he has in Psalm 50 and verse 60. You see it on the wall behind me. God says this, What right do you have to proclaim my laws or take my covenant on your lips when you so hate to receive instruction and fling my words behind you? When you see a thief, you join up with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and speak against your kinsmen. You slander your own mother's son. When you do such things, should I stay silent? You may have thought I was just like you. Now listen, this is God saying, you might have thought I was just like you. But I will rebuke and indict you to your face. Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to save you. And this was spoken by the Lord to an apostate Israel thousands of years ago. Ironically, such must now be his indictment against an apostate Christendom. Let me tell you why. Men today, and I'm speaking very generally, but I think you'll agree, men today imagine... That God is moved by sentiment rather than by divine principle or divine decree, as we've talked about already. Many imagine that God, that his omnipotency, his power is such an idle fiction that Satan is thwarting his designs left and right. As if there's really some sort of battle and, and Satan wins this day and God wins this day. Some people imagine that Satan can actually prevail. Men imagine in... And proclaim a God that if he has formed any plan or purpose at all, then it must be like theirs, constantly subject to change, right? 
something comes up and I've got to adjust, I've got to adapt, I've got to overcome. Men imagine that whatever power Yahweh possesses, it must be restricted lest he violate men's free will, we were talking about that in the foyer, and just reduce them to a robot. And, and listen, it gets worse. By low human thought, men have reduced the all-effective atonement of the Messiah, which has actually redeemed everyone for whom it was made to a mere remedy. There's my little air quotes, which sin-sick souls may use if they feel disposed to. You know, if you want to take advantage, go ahead. We just reduced it to some sort of option in the medicine cabinet, spiritually speaking. And they, and they dampen the invincible work of God's Spirit to just a, an offer of the gospel which sinners may accept or reject as they please. If you want to, go ahead. If you don't, okay. My friends, this, this is the God of the 21st century. No, this God no more resembles the supreme sovereign of Scripture than does the dim flickering of a candle resemble the glory of the midday sun. The God who is now talked about in the average pulpit, spoken of in the ordinary Sunday school classes, and, and written about in much of the religious literature of our day is a figment of human imagination. It's basically... Basically, he's the, he's the invention of corny sentimentality. The heathen outside the pale of, of Christianity, right? Those people who don't know God and they don't go to church. They're pagans, right? They're the heathens. They'll fashion a god, a, a deity out of wood and stone, and they'll bow down and they'll serve it, and we'll just laugh and scoff at their ignorance. All the while, millions of good Christians, there's my air quotes again, good Christians, They'll, they'll manufacture a God out of their own carnal mind, one that suits their purposes, one that suits their desires. In reality, they are but atheists, for there is no other possible alternative between the absolute supreme God of Scripture and no God at all. There's not a middle position. There's no other option. Either you... Accept and worship and serve the supreme God of Scripture or you're an atheist. That's it. After all, a God, there's air quotes, a lot of air quotes, a God, lowercase g, a God whose will is resisted, whose designs are frustrated, whose purpose can be checkmated, that God possesses no title to deity at all. And so far from being a fit object of worship, that God merits nothing but contempt. Yet, this is the God who is proclaimed and peddled all across our land today. Don't believe me? Go online, listen to some sermons and podcasts and junk that people post out there, even among what we would call sound brethren. Brothers and sisters, we serve the supreme I am. And we serve him and we accept him and we believe in him as he is described in scripture. The supremacy of the true and living God can be easily demonstrated by the infinite distance that separates the mightiest of creation, humanity. We are the mightiest, we are the pinnacle, we are the imagers. If you look at the distance between the imagers, the humans, and the creator, we can see the supremacy of God easily. 
Scripture tells us that he is the potter, and we are but the clay in his hands to be molded into vessels of honor or to be dashed into pieces as he pleases. Do you know Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 18, if you've not already turned over there, go ahead. We're going to read these scriptures, so get your Bibles out. Something I noticed here last week or two back home is when I say turn to a passage, it's silent. And I, I, I'm going to believe that's because you're all using electronic devices, but I sure miss pages. And so I, last Sunday, a lady came to church and said, I brought my paper to Bible today, and I'm going to rattle the pages for you because it's nice. It's nice to hear the pages turn. But turn to Jeremiah chapter 18. And read with me just these first ten verses. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Had, a, had an error, had a mistake, or something wrong with it. So he made it again, he remade it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. Anybody ever made pottery on a potter's wheel? I've done it a few times. It's pretty fun. You're making something, you mess up, you go, you squish it, and you start again. It's just easy. If you don't like it, you can reshape it, you can add a handle, you can turn it into whatever you want. So here's the analogy. Verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah said, says this, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up and pull it down and destroy, destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build it and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I said I would Benefit it. Very plainly do we see here that scripture is showing us. Here's this illustration. Here's this picture. God is supreme. He can do whatever he wants with every one of you, with every nation, with every being that exists because he made it all. He is the potter. Here's an illustration. Imagine if all the hosts of heaven, innumerable hosts of heaven, all the angelic, heavenly, supernatural, spiritual beings, every one of them, and every single inhabitant of earth. Now, I think there's, what, seven and a half billion-ish on the earth today. I think we could perhaps double that for all the spiritual hosts. Let's say 15 billion were to combine and revolt against Yahweh. 15 billion going against one. Let me tell you something. Such an occasion would cause him no uneasiness and would have less effect on him upon his eternal and unassailable throne than 10 million, 15 billion snowballs lobbed at the sun. Would be nothing. This is the futility of the clay resisting the potter. God is supreme. The creature is utterly powerless to affect the Most High. I think sometimes we think that we can affect God. Scripture tells us that when, even when the Gentile rulers unite with apostate Israel to defy Yahweh, to defy God and his Messiah, that he simply laughs and mocks at them. Psalm 2. You know Psalm 2? Look at verses 1 through 4. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 4. 
It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Nations would relate to the Gentiles, the people, Israel. So why do they do this? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So that's the 15 billion analogy. What if everybody is going against God? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Indeed, the absolute and universal supremacy of God is plainly and positively affirmed in many scriptures. Many. many. I'm going to give you about five or six, and we're going to look at all of them. So please, turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to start in verse 9. You need to see what the Word of God says about God and His supremacy. 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 9. Listen to the language here. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, now listen to David's prayer. Now listen, David, a man after God's own heart, God's anointed, he said this, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Now, that's, that's beautiful, but listen to what he keeps on going. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, O God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Do you hear what David is praying here? God is supreme now. God reigns now. Jesus reigns now. Not in some millennium. Not in some future time will God finally get to be supreme. He is supreme and has always been supreme. If you went to the next book, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our father, here's another beautiful prayer. Are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And do you not, uh, and in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God, who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever. And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon a sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, these things, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save what Jehoshaphat just said is that before him, presidents, uh, popes, kings, emperors, you name it, they are less than grasshoppers. God is supreme. If you went over to the book of Job, in Job chapter 23, we read here about the God of Scripture. He's no make-believe monarch. Look at Job 23 and verse 13. Job 23:13. But he is unique, and who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does. He's so supreme, nobody can make him change, is what Job says. For he performs what is appointed for me, and many such things are with him. 
He's no make-believe monarch. He is real. He is supreme. He's no mere imaginary sovereign, but he is king of kings. He is lord of lords. If you went over about 20 chapters to Job 42. Job 42 and verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord. We know how the story goes. After his lamenting and complaining and questioning, he eventually gets to have his face-to-face with the Lord. Job answers the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. All that God has designed, he does. That is such an important truth. All that he has decreed, he performs. Because he's sovereign. Proverbs 21. Excuse me, Psalm 115. In verse 1. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name. Give glory because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? Verse 3, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Why? Because he's supreme. He's supreme. He's sovereign. And then Proverbs. Proverbs 21. Your fingers are getting a workout today. Proverbs 21, verse 30. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. Now that's about the most simple statement that you could possibly read in Scripture. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord because He is supreme. But how often, how often are our thoughts of God too human? And we think that somehow, some way, He's less than supreme. Scripture contains many demonstrations of Yahweh's supremacy. We we are not going to read these. If you want to scribble them down or snap a picture of the screen, whatever, I've got people at home who don't like to take notes so they get their camera out and they take a picture. That's fine. The demonstration of God's supremacy is all throughout Scripture. Here's some examples. His supremacy is over the works of his hands, and it's vividly depicted in Scripture, inanimate matter, uh, irrational creatures. They all perform the Maker's bidding. Do you remember Exodus 14, where at his pleasure, the Red Sea divided and the water stood up as walls? Or the earth opened up her mouth and the guilty rebels of Israel went down alive into Sheol, the pit there in Numbers 14. The earth opened up and God said, swallow them. Over in Joshua chapter 10, God ordered the sun to stand still. Uh, Then on another occasion, they went backwards 10 degrees on the dial of Ahaz in Isaiah 38. Then to exemplify his supremacy, God made ravens, birds, carry food to Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. And even iron axe heads swim on the top of the waters by his will in 2 Kings chapter 6. You remember the stories when God commanded fire not to harm the three Hebrews who had been cast into the fiery furnace and the lions were tamed when Daniel was cast into their den, Daniel's chapter 3 and 6. My friends, what I want you to see is this is the supreme deity of Scripture. This is the God we're worshiping today. Psalm 145 on the wall. 
Verse 4. For Yahweh chose Jacob for himself. Israel has his own unique treasure. I know that Yahweh is great, that our Lord is above all gods. Yahweh does whatever pleases him in heaven, on earth, in the seas, in all the depths. He raises clouds from the ends of the earth. He makes the lightning flash in the rain and brings the wind out from his storehouses. God's supremacy is easily seen. And it's also demonstrated in his perfect rule over the will, the wills of mankind. In Exodus chapter 34, I want, I want to go over here. Consider that three times, this one's a really obscure example, but I really like the obscure random thing, <laughs> things in the Bible. Exodus 34. You may not know where this one's going, but hang in there. I think you'll see. Exodus 34. God gives an instruction to the, to the children of Israel. And the instructions is this, that three times in the year, all the males of Israel were required to leave their homes and go up to Jerusalem. They were required three times a year to go to Jerusalem and to worship. Let's read this together. Exodus 34, verse 22. And you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and of the feast of ingathering at the year's end. There's the three. Three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. Now, that's, that seems like, what are you getting at? Okay. Three times a year. This is, this is important and significant because they lived, these people that he's given this instruction to, the Israelites, lived in the midst of hostile people who hated them for having appropriated their lands. Remember? The conquest of Canaan. So we read in verse 24, God says, I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Now listen, neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. When they left, when the men left their wives and their children and their livestock and all their property, when they left to go to Jerusalem, what was to hinder the Canaanites from seizing their opportunity and in their absence, slaying the women, slaying the children, taking them, whatever, stealing all the, just taking, conquering. What would have stopped them? They're days foot walk away. They can do nothing. What I want you to see is if the hand of the supreme almighty was not upon the wills of even the wicked men, how could he make a promise beforehand that none should so much as desire their lands? He's supreme. God controls even the wills of the wicked. There's nothing, there is nothing beyond his supreme and sovereign will. Brothers and sisters, this is the supreme deity of scripture. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart, uh, the king's heart in Yahweh's hands is like streams of water. He directs it wherever he pleases. But someone right here even today may object. Well, don't we read about, in Scripture, over and over, don't we read about how humans defied God and they resisted His will and, and they broke His commandments and they disregarded His warnings and they turned a deaf ear to all His exhortations? And the answer is, yeah, we do. We read about it all over the place. Well, you know, doesn't that nullify that all we've considered so far, that God is supreme? Doesn't this show a weakness then in Yahweh? Well, if it does, then the Bible plainly contradicts itself. Of course, that cannot be. Clearly, what the objector of this variety refers to is simply the wickedness of humanity against the external word of God. 
Thus saith the Lord, God said, and then the wickedness of humanity against that. That's all you're talking about. What we have been studying today is what God has purpose in himself, his absolute supremacy, who he is. That's what we're talking about. And that is totally unaffected by the actions, both good and bad, of humanity. In truth, the rule of conduct he has given to us to walk by is perfectly fulfilled by none of us. Yes, it was fulfilled by one, Jesus, Messiah, but not another of all of created humanity. And so God's eternal decree, all that his will, his counsel, his purpose is, is secured and it is accomplished to their minutest detail simply by the fact that they are, it is the decree of the supreme deity. To finalize our study, I want to notice one more little thing here. This lesson's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. There's not a whole lot to it. God is supreme. He is the supreme I am. But I want us to consider that the absolute and universal supremacy of God is affirmed with equal plainness and positiveness in the New Testament as well. I want to take you back to a passage we've already read today, back in Ephesians chapter 1. This kind of becomes something of a, a, a hinge pin of this, this series of, of lessons as thought. Ephesians 1 and verse 11. Paul writes, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. The counsel of his will. This idea of working. Paul makes this abundantly obvious. The Greek word for work here in Ephesians 1 and verse 11 is where we get the same word energy or energize is my understanding of this Greek. And it means to work effectively. That means to do work that causes effect, right? God does work that causes effect. It is effective working. Maybe your translations even have it that way, and that's a good translation of the Greek. It's why Paul writes over in Romans chapter 11, for of him, in verse 36, Romans 11 and verse 36, Paul writes this, for of him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Men may boast that they are free agents. And we, we have free will, absolutely. We have a will of our own. And we are at liberty to do as we please. But James addresses those who make such a boast. Go over to James chapter 4. What's so interesting, we were talking about this very thing in the auditorium out there in the foyer. Yes, we have free will. But even our free will falls under the supremacy of God. Nothing is outside of that. James chapter 4, verse 13. James says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, right? Making your plans. That's good stuff. Look what he says. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Yes, we are free will beings. God made us that way, but not so independently of his will. You understand that? We are free will beings, 
but we are not free of his supreme will. Now, wouldn't that just blow the minds of a lot of people who claim to be atheists or evolutionary scientists, whatever? That, I mean, all free will of all humanity is subject to the will of God. All things exist and consist in subjection to the Lord's will because he is supreme. One of the comments was made out in the, on the four years is such an interesting conversation is that it kind of, it's deep. It's, this is hard to wrap your heads around it, but, but we're not excused from trying and endeavoring to do so. Right here in James chapter 4, in verse 15, you get the phrase, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. I, I've actually heard, a lot of times we say, Lord willing. Anybody here say, Lord willing? And anybody know the rest of that? Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Anybody said that one? Do you know, I always thought that meant if, if the water, if it, if it rains and the creek doesn't come up and cover the driveway, I'll, I'll get out. I always thought that's what it means. How many believe that's what it means? Thank you. I wasn't the only one. I actually was told that that, me, that saying has another meaning in certain parts of the United States because the creek would refer to a nation of indigenous peoples here in America. And I forget which general or president or somebody, some American politician had written, I will come to Washington, Lord willing, and the Creek Nation don't rise so I can actually get there. Now, I don't know if that's true. Either one works. But we need to live our lives as the Lord wills. I learned in my Hebrew class that even today, modern Hebrew-speaking Israeli people say, in Yirza Hashem, all the time. My professor said it all the time. Finally, one day I said, what's that mean? Well, I didn't say it. One of our class members said, what's that mean? He says it means, if the name will allow it. Hashem, the name. They won't say the name of God. That's a, almost a superstition among Jewish people. They live saying, if the name, if God will permit it, we'll do this or that. That's what James says. We should live our lives in complete subjection to the sovereignty of the supreme God of the cosmos because of who he is. And here, right here then, is a sure resting place for our hearts. Our lives are neither the product of blind fate nor the result of random chance. But every detail, every detail of our lives Every detail in exists and consists by the decree of the living and reigning supreme God. Whether you live acknowledging that or not, it still is. A person may plan his path, Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, but Yahweh directs his steps. That's not just good church going people sitting in buildings today. That's Everybody. Not a hair of our head can be touched without his permission. Now, I don't know about you, but that's assurance. That's real assurance. That's real strength. That's real comfort to know. Psalm 31, verse 14 and 15. But I trust in you, Yahweh. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from my enemy's power, from those who persecute me. Is that how you live your day, day in, day out? Or I'm going to figure it. I'll get it. I'll sort it out. I'll make this work. I'll... Do you see the difference? Psalm 37, 7, be still before Yahweh. Wait patiently till he comes. Don't be upset by those whose ways succeeds because of their wicked plans. Be still. Wait. 
This is true assurance. We can do that, and we can be confident and secure doing that because he is supreme. We know he is supreme, A, because he says so, and B, because we can look around and see evidence of his reality, his existence, and we can see evidence of his works, and we can be assured of that. Isn't it pitiful to think about those who don't, who don't recognize and acknowledge the supremacy of God? I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in a sincere, it's pitiful. It's pitiful. How, we stopped at Kroger on the way up here. Chris needed a, a pack of mints because apparently I, I need to keep some in my pocket. So we stopped and got a pack of mints. We stopped at Kroger. And I looked around, and, and I think we were the only people in church closed again. I'm not judging hearts. Maybe their church service started at 1 o'clock. I don't know. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, how do people live their lives without this assurance? I don't understand it. I couldn't. I wouldn't. Brothers and sisters, this is the actual state of things as they are. Yahweh is supreme. God is supreme. Everything, everything is subject to him. Everything is subject to him because as the potter, he made everything. Everything that fits within the bookends of time, beginning to end, he made it. He controls it. He shapes it. He can do what he wants with it. All creation, natural and supernatural, animate and inanimate, human, beast, celestial bodies, all the host of the spiritual realm, all of them, nothing happens beyond his sovereign decree. Which is why we should live every day if the Lord wills. But how often do we get to thinking of God in too human of terms? We get to thinking of God that we need to beg him to do something. We have to, we have to try to get him to react. Listen, you know, everything happens according to and not beyond his sovereign decree. And yes, he wants us to pray. He wants us to beseech. He wants us to share. He wants us to ask, just like a father wants. But in your household, fathers, don't you know everything that's going on? Now, as far as human free will is concerned, I want to wrap up with this, because this is important for us to consider. As far as human free will is concerned, it is something that the Lord permits. And I think it's important for you to understand that we each choose this day whom we will serve. We may choose to do good works that prove our faith, or we may choose to be living witnesses to the mercy and grace of Yahweh, or not. We make these choices. We choose that. But everything that every one of us and every other imager on this planet does, yeah, we have free will, but it all, all falls underneath the supremacy and sovereignty of God. And so, yeah, you may choose this day to walk out of this building hearing this lesson or hearing lessons preached in times past, knowing that you need to do something about your soul salvation, and you may choose not to. That is your free will. You may do that. You may walk out of here, and you may do nothing about it at any point at any time in your future. You have the freedom to do that. But understand that you will live and then die beneath, underneath the supremacy and sovereignty and decree of God. And you will stand before him one day. And you'll have to give an account of why you did not respond. If you're hearing my voice, and I'm standing here telling you that God is supreme, his decree shall ever stand, and what he has decreed is that all people who by faith choose him as their deity and then submit to him out of obedience, and they will die with him in the water grave of baptism, those will be saved from the day of wrath. Now, I'm telling you that. That's truth. I can show you verses for every last one of those. And I guarantee you probably heard it. 
and then you yet still choose with your free will to not respond, that is your choice. But you will have to give an account of that choice. We're going to sing a hymn that's entitled, I Am the Way. Jesus laid it out pretty plain, didn't he? He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's not another option. This is the only way. And you have the choice to walk in his way, to live your life according to his decree, submitting to his supremacy and his sovereignty. And we're going to talk about many other attributes of God. We'll look at the goodness of God and the immutability of God and all these other really great things. And you'll love all these lessons, I guarantee it. They're great. Because you love God. You'll love learning about God. But right now, you have to make a choice. Even if you don't walk up here and get baptized today, you're still choosing. Everybody here chooses this day whom they will serve. And here's what it all comes down to. Make that choice and never, make the right choice and never, ever waver. Never choose another. Because he's the only way. Jesus Christ is the only way. If you need to respond, we stand ready and willing to assist you. All you have to do is make your way down to the front and let us know how we can help you. That's together we stand to sing.